As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, hi, everybody. This is Mark Alford. Uh, you probably know the gentleman sitting next to me on our front porch here in the urban core. This is our little, we call it the tree house. Uh, <laughs> lived here since January, and this is Get Comfortable with Mark Alford. Quentin Lucas, good to see you. Good to see you, sir. Good to be with you. You're a busy man these days. You know, we're running around a little bit, but uh, I hope to be even busier after this Tuesday. Yeah. Did you think you'd get this far when you <laughs> I, when you got yeah. into the, I want to say playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it's like, yeah, isn't it? It is. When you got it to the final two, you I think you were a little surprised. I was. You know, I'll be absolutely honest. I mean, this has been a uh, it's been a fun race, but I still remember. Two days after I announced I was getting in, or maybe two days before, uh, Jason Kander was in the race. Yeah. Uh, you know, and certainly I, I commend him for everything that he's addressed of late. Um, there has been drama, all these changes over the last year, uh, and so when we got through the primary, I was I was impressed because you know I saw a Kansas City Star poll that had us in sixth place about a week and a half to two weeks out. But we always knew we had a good plan, and uh, you know we were. We're pretty certain that we'd be able to do that. So, um, I, I want to get back into everyone's done interviews, and yeah. everyone kind of knows the issues. And how many debates have you had? Like twenty thousand so yeah, far, yeah. which is cool. Yeah, 40, 40 total debates. Have you really? Forty. Yeah, forty debates. Counting primary in general. But does yeah. anyone ever ask a new question? <laughs> Not really, <laughs> unless it's just like I personally care about my right. sidewalk or something. No, it's they're all huh. they've all been pretty much the same. All right, so I want to. We're going to go get into some topics because right. that's important, and especially what I'm hoping to get out of this. And I told you over the phone is that people kind of follow politics a little bit into the last minute. There's still 20 percent of the electorate yeah. there who are undecided, yeah. which astonishes me. But I think it's because people don't know you or don't know Jolie. That's right. And I want people to get to know you through this. That's kind of in a personal way. So we're going to get into some personal things, but and I don't want to scare you that way. But no, I'm good. Um, but also some some political topics right. that. Well, need trust to be me. By the way, running for office is a lot like uh, going to therapy regularly because people get into your life, right? They ask you all these deeper questions, and frankly, you know, hey, you got to share a lot. Yeah. So it's all right. Have you always been that way, willing to share? be vulnerable? You know, it's changed. And, and it came in adulthood. I mean, I think when I was coming up, um, I knew we had some challenges, right? I mean, I've talked about this. We were homeless, doing some other stuff, but I was going to a private school at the same time. And uh, you just learn to deal with stuff. So I think probably for my first 20, 25 years of life, I was just like, well, yeah, I had my challenges, but you know, you don't let them limit you. Uh, and then I think as I've gotten a bit older, I've realized, well, if you share what's going on in your life, there's mm. often somebody else out there who's doing this, dealing with the same thing, going through the same issues. And, you know, I've enjoyed uh, getting the chance to have other, mm. you know, particularly when there are young mothers that come up. I was actually just at City Hall uh, with a woman, single mom, right, works there. And she says, I need you to meet my 19-year-old son mm. and to uh, tell him about, you know, everything he can become and that sort of thing. So, so I've liked it. 
That's a big responsibility, too. I mean, yeah. people are starting to look at you, and if you win mayor, even more so yeah. as a role model. Right. That's a lot of pressure. You know, it is, but I think in the 21st century, we're doing a little bit better with role models than we were when I was coming up or when others were, right? We used to see everybody as like this kind of perfect human being, and right. they would let us down, and then we'd say, oh, my God, that's it. Whereas I think what we see now these days is that people are saying, wait a second, you're, you know, you're a human, you're a person. We all have a lot of strengths. We all have a lot of weaknesses. And basically us figuring out how we can get people to their best potential mm. is one of the most important steps. I mean, I, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to go preacher on everybody, but, you know, I'm kind of a religious guy. And, I, you know, I like the, at least the way my church usually does it and so many others is, you know, our whole reason for being is kind of making sure that we can do the best for others with the gifts we've, you know, had bestowed upon us. And do you have a couple of guys or somebody in your life that kind of holds you accountable? Huh. Yeah. I mean, step one is, is my mother, who uh, will never let me be arrogant, never let anything go to my head, will always tell me my shoes look unshined and I look raggedy and I need a bunch of new suits, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. I mean, she's she likes you, by the way. Well, you, thank you. Your suits are on point, man. But, uh, <laughs> You know. That's right. You know, I get a lot of those at thrift stores. Really? I'll have to take you. You know who yeah. did that, turned me on to that kind, was Emanuel Cleaver. You know oh. that, and I think he still I does. I used to go in this thrift store down in, near Westport all the time. I forgot the name of it. And I ran into him. And it's kind of like you're embarrassed to be there. But right. I'm like, oh, I'm an anchor and he's a mayor. And I said, right. who cares? Right. And so then I kind of came out that, yeah, I'm a proud thrift store shopper. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, then I will be, if, particularly if I win, be at the thrift, thrift store all, all right. the time. Are you 40 man. regular? You know, ye, now I am. Yeah, yeah, I used to. 38. Used, yeah, exactly. But uh, I've been mm. eating too much Gates lately. So good eye, by the way. <laughs> who was your biggest influence aside from your mom yeah. growing up? You know, that's an interesting one. There is a, um, there's a, an African-American lawyer in town, a guy by the name of Maurice Watson, who uh, actually uh, worked at what was then Blackwell Sanders, Hush mm -hmm. Blackwell, worked with Sly James, a bunch of artists. And uh, the thing I found impressive... He's a sharp dresser, he's, too. He's a very sharp dresser. Mm -hmm. But I remember, because I was going out to the same school he went to, Barstow, uh, one of the few black kids out there, but I saw him walking in one day. He was the sweetest man of my mother to me. You know, one of those people who said, oh, no, you can really do anything. And I've been able to look at him as a mentor in life for years. And so he's been somebody who's been a good kind of sign of success and giving back that I've taken. What advice has he given you in this whole race? Stay positive. I think he was in a lot of different ways, not just stay positive as in don't be negative towards somebody else, which is something I follow, but more of, uh, you know, you got to believe in yourself. You know, you know you got in the race for a reason. Because the hardest thing with politics or television or anybody else's normal life is that each day, you know, you can let the, the burdens get you. And you can say, oh, my God, I'm, this terrible thing happened. Or, you know, somebody I wanted to endorse me, endorse Steve Miller today or whatever else. And that happens like daily in politics. If you let it take over, then it's going to consume you. Whereas I think part of the success of our campaign in the primary and even now is, yeah, we've never had the most money, never had the most endorsements, but we've had our plan. And we've kind of rolled with it in that positive way. And That's changed over the last couple of cycles. Yeah. So are yeah. endorsements as big as they no. used to be? No. I mean, it used to be if you got the Freedom Inc. endorsement, oh, yeah. you were golden. Yeah. You know, no, they're, they're not even... Not that they're not an important organization. That's not what I'm saying. Or not that the firefighters right, are a star or, or anybody else. Right. I but mean, 
don't you think people are more independently minded yes, now? Yes, yes. We have, we have kind of liberalized in the broadest sense, not politically, but uh, information's opened up, right? I mean, there are people that are going to catch this on Facebook Live that aren't going to watch it on Fox 4, that aren't newspaper readers, mm -hmm. and all of those kind of going around. So I think largely for the better. You know, we've created more access to information, and so those classical channels of how you get it, right, are very different. You know, the the Freedom Inc. ad in the Kansas City Call or the mailer, you know, isn't the only thing that's getting to people. You can put in a bunch of money into digital outreach and, and reach a whole different set of people. You know, it's good and bad. The good is you're reaching more different people. The bad is we have fewer people voting, and it seems like people are sometimes missing elections. That's the thing. I started researching this deal I, in the last couple of mayor's mm -hmm. races, I haven't gone back too far, there's only 26,000 people who vote in the mayoral election. Mm -hmm. It only takes 13,000 votes to be mayor. That's crazy. It's insane. I mean, and it's a problem for the city long term. My view is uh, you want more buy-in because even if you... Even if you aren't voting, it's all affecting you, right? Everybody's driving on these roads. Everybody's experiencing crime in our community. And you may not have been touched by it, but it certainly has an effect on how all of us live. And so one of my biggest goals, if I'm lucky enough to get elected, frankly, even in this campaign, is trying to reach as many people as possible. That's why we have a robust Facebook presence. You know, we're trying to say that it's not just, we don't just want to hit the same, and God bless you if you're that person watching, that same nice 72-year-old lady who has voted in every single election right. for however many years. But I want the guy or gal who's the busy 33-year-old um, and all that sort of stuff to, like, make it all work better for us. So that's kind of, you know, my, my Yeah, thing. the 3-1 Action Center's great. I've called down there. They're very responsive. Uh, I know you were just down there yeah, visiting yeah. with some folks. But there's got to be an all, all, also another way in the age that we live in to get more immediate access and attention. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how that is, but... I think as we develop, I know the parks system is working on mm -hmm. that as well. There's a lot of departments uh, that want to be really on top of it and being responsive to the system. Yeah, I think that is the biggest thing. I mean, you hear in this campaign, people talk about how do we bring City Hall to the neighborhoods? How do we do all of this? And, and I'll give an example from this. When we were doing housing policy, I did, you know, six public meetings, Saturdays, uh, weeknights. We still didn't get that many people there because we have to, through new media, reach them. You have to give somebody the opportunity sometimes to engage through Messenger on any of the different social media tools. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to continue to have community organizers in the sense that somebody's gotta walk around, knock doors, or go to the schools, go to basic public events. And that's the sort of work I think we need to do better of as government, to get people engaged in voting, to get people you know, wanting to do things. It's changed. How do you, when you're out talking with the people, everyone wants something and, and they feel like their issue is the most important issue. Yeah. You can't promise everyone everything. Yeah. Because then you're going to not meet expectations and that's really going to be bad right. when you get into office. How do you listen to them, listen to their concerns, but not promise them the moon? You know, today I had that chance, that opportunity after a debate. Um, Sometimes you do just directly say, look, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, they, we're getting a lot of calls about Jackson County property tax assessments. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right? I've gotten five calls from friends <laughs> right. on that. Please do a story on this. Right. Like, we're going to march on <laughs> yeah, the county. The county. Like, you know, and uh, this lady's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, well, 
you know, we're gonna do what we can, but otherwise, county assessor, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't change everything. And I try to usually tell people, all right, let's think proactively of what it is we can do in the future to really address your problem. Today I said to people, you know, I'm not gonna change, be able to change your taxes, but I could slow down the increase in your water rates, for example, mm. right? That's another big burden, particularly our senior citizens are having trouble dealing with. And I said, all right, if we do that, that at least gives you some relief. I mean, it's, it's figuring out how you can get to answers for people while also, yeah, telling them there are these things you can do and you can't. You know, one of my favorite questions today, this lady was in a probate dispute with her family. She's like, yeah, my grandpa died and I'm fighting the other grandchild. What can the city do? And I'm like, darling, I can't help you at all. On that. And I don't want to get into family disputes. We are not touching marriage, divorce, children, you know, probate. But it's, it's kind of telling them, all right, but what can I help you with? Can I help you with your sidewalk? Can I help you with water? Can what I help you with What is the safety? biggest problem right now? Do you see... Uh, well, let's talk about potholes. Everyone yeah. was so ticked off. This yeah. is, I've been here 21 years. This is the <laughs> yeah. worst. I mean, I drive down the street here, and it's still bad in some parts. Yeah, it is. And I know the crews were working. Uh, I know yeah. that you had trouble finding crews to get out there and work. What's the solution to that? Because I don't want to go through that again. Yeah, the solution is, is actually planning ahead. I mean, I think the problem was we got a little uh, used to mild winters. Mm -hmm. You know, we stopped kind of doing our same investment in road resurfacing long term. So we had several years of disinvestment, non-preparation. Uh, and so then you have streets like Gregory, streets like Ward Parkway, North Oak Trafficway that were just like collapsing. Right. And the collapse was leading to these gigantic potholes. And I think we continue to see them. And so the the answer is kind of, yeah, you got to be planning right now. You know, it's June. We need to have our plan for how are you getting ready for next winter, right? What are we doing to resurface proactively? The other thing is, and I can bore you with data, and I might, we've got $877 million of deferred road maintenance in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, That's almost a billion dollars. Right. And, and the thing we passed to address it was an $800 million road repair fund, which it wasn't actually all to the roads. The problem we have right now is that we said with that fund we were going to just do existing roads. We were going to fix up existing roads. Mm -hmm. City Hall broke that promise and almost instantly started working on new roads, new projects, that sort of thing. We need leadership, in my view, that says, no, 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 before we're thinking about the new cool thing, we got to take care of the core basics because every Kansas City in watching has gone over some potholes. Some people like me and maybe you have blown out some tires. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's frustrating. And I think that's the sort of basic we need to do, but it's planning in advance. It's using the funding you have to address these issues. Because I'll tell you this, I'm not a big tax increase guy. I think we've gone to the well way too much lately. I think what we need to do is prove to the public we can actually spend their money efficiently mm. and effectively, and that's how we would do it. So would you set up a reserve fund for in case we have a bad yeah. year like we did this year? You know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, uh, but I, I need to give you the best stuff because I'm on mm. the porch. We need to set up both a reserve fund, but you remember Mark Funkhauser had a world of flaws, a world right, of Right, but he was good with the budget. But the one thing, yeah, that, and I remember when that he was- That was his shtick. Right. And when he ran, he said, I am tired of metal plates. We will not have metal right, plates I remember that. on the streets. Because we had more metal plates than we had fountains. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we had metal plates everywhere. And I still remember, because I was in, I think, college at the time he was elected. I came mm -hmm. back, and I was like, holy cow, what happened to all the metal plates? It was nice. You know, we need that sort of focus. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem in Kansas City with too many of our mayors, and a lot of them have been good people, but you got to walk and chew gum. 
So, you know, Funkhauser was a budget hawk and probably right. helped us weather the financial crisis. But there were some other flaws he had and all those issues. Uh, you know, I think right now we've got a situation where we got a mayor who's a good big project guy, but we got road issues. We have these safety issues. I mean, those are important and need to be How addressed. How would you too. rate Sly as a mayor? He's been in eight years. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's good. He could be better. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go what my, I think my freshman year English teacher told me, because I think I was smart and all that sort of stuff. But she was like, you know, there were some things that you tried to do those, you could be even better. And for Sly, one of them is, how do you cooperate better? You know, he, he was very good at the bowl in the China shop. This city's going to figure out that this darn thing is getting done. Well, the airport. Exactly. You know, be it heck or high water, we're going to do it. And what that led to was, I'll just say this, I think what that led to was more expense on the airport project, delays on the airport project, and this terrible taste in our mouths mm -hmm. that uh, everybody's saying, what in the heck was that process? From a no bid to a right of first refusal to a, a, just a procurement process that was a farce in many ways, to then this kind of intrigue every day. And then once we actually sign the development agreement, remember the developer tells us day of, all right, it's going to be due, it's finished a year later right. and a billion dollars more. That is not how you build public confidence. Oh, we forgot to count the interest. <laughs> right. How do you, when you're presenting a plan to the citizen, right. how do you get to forget to? Well, it's or because, do you think that was intentional? I think it was intentional. I mean, I continue. So to, the voters couldn't see the real cost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember during the summer of 2017, before that election, and I won't relitigate everything, but I kept asking, why are we putting this 965 million in 2015 dollars? Why don't we actually just be square with the voters and say what the cost is and have them vote on it? You know, don't lie to people. And they say, oh, well, you know, whatever. And then, you know, it gets pushed through and everybody tells me if you're against it, then you're slowing down progress and the future of our, our grandchildren. Uh, but you got to admit, our airport right now is pretty crappy. Oh, and pretty I don't know if that's because of deferred maintenance. I flew out to New York the other yeah. week and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is bad. It, I mean, it's clear we need something new, yeah. right? Yeah. I no, mean, I no, love no. the convenience of it. Oh, it's clear we need it. We need to change. I just think there's this. But you got to get citizen buy-in. Right. Right. You, you can't just do things. you got to do things well, right? Too often in government, state, local, federal, right? They'll build these things, and then they're like, oh, hell, we have to fix it now because we didn't notice, you know, that there was this issue or that issue. And I'm trying, I've tried my best on council and would try as mayor to make sure that we don't run into that with the airport. I mean, we've got to just make sure we're getting it right um, and being honest and transparent as much as possible, which we have not been. What about the Paseo then? Because a lot of people no, felt the same way mad. that, yeah. you know, Alyssa Kennedy, who just threw her support yeah. behind you, she was very much against she was, yeah. it not going through the proper channels, according to Sydney ordinance, that yeah. the people along the Paseo get a get a say. Yeah. And yeah. just out of nowhere, it comes about that, hey, we're going to change it to MLK. Yeah. You know, my view is this. Um, and, it, and it's funny because sometimes on the campaign trail, they're like, you know, I get attacked for not carrying things through. But that one, I guess, is, you know, one I did. But um, here's the deal. Uh, we had a city ordinance. Council often will modify a city ordinance for any number of things. Uh, and I think the ordinance that claimed that you always need 75% of property owners on a street has never been applied in Kansas City. And we checked, not for Truman Road, not for Emanuel Cleaver, not for, you know, cooking. It was cooking still the law, wasn't it? It was still on the books. 
Right, and so I guess the answer will be, and I hate to sound too much like President Nixon, that's always a bad place, but not that the president is the law, but uh, no, you can modify an ordinance with a subsequent ordinance, right? And what we we did with that ordinance was said, and I and I, I pushed back on folks who said there was no public notice. You, you covered the stories. Right. There was a rally in April. There was a citizens commission that did nothing. Their recommendation sat on a desk. And then in the fall, we introduced an ordinance that said, all right, do the name change. It sits and languishes for about five months, and then finally council takes a vote. Uh, I know there are a lot of folks that will have qualms with that process, but frankly, I believe in representative government. Everybody who hated that process uh, had the opportunity to vote against some of us, and likely did. You know, myself and Councilwoman Justice voted for the name change, and we both heard mightily about it. But I guess- How do you feel now? uh, You know, I hate to say it this way. Part of the reason I was ever in support of it was because I saw how much it mattered to a certain, you know, an amount of people in our city, um, and I think it still matters to them. That said, I think I agree with you in suggesting that uh, we should have had more of a conversation about race and place and name in that process. Do you think it was, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, all different races. Yeah. Was it ever really a racial deer, or was it historical preservation of George Kessler and yep. his vision for the Paseo and the and the basic of what our city grew up around? On that one, it from, depi- from what I got was is that hey, let's do a six, uh, let's do sixty third Street. That way, it can cut across all sections of Kansas City. Everyone can at some time during the day be on MLK. On race, it depends on who you're asking, right? I mean, I think the ministers. Uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference folks and all that would say, yeah, it is about that to them. Um, I think a lot of the folks who are against the name change would say that has nothing to do with, in fact, all of them would say it has nothing to do with race. It's more about preservation of our city. I mean, I'll tell you where my mind changed because I I got my wings clipped a little because I always thought we should just take the name J.C. Nichols off of both the fountain and the parkway. And I actually continue because to Because of that. his right. issues in the right, past. Exactly. I mean, I just don't think that's history that we want right. to, uh, you know, commend. I suggested that as a Martin Luther King honorific. I remember and it that. Just, that it went over not too well. <laughs> it went over terribly. How dare you? Um, but you know, the thing I thought about as that went on, and a minister told me this, and I had to think about it for a minute. He was saying, black minister, and he was saying, why is it that uh, to appreciate someone, we, he's talking about black folks, have to go somewhere else to do it? He's like, I want it in my neighborhood. I don't want it to have to go 63rd Street because he was a great black minister. Uh, and and their story and their view of him is that's what we want to recognize. We're not recognizing somebody else always with it. And I was like, you know, that's an interesting perspective. That is it. I hadn't thought of that. Right. But you know. It's kind of an ownership. Yeah. But being a white person, I'm thinking, well, MLK helped everyone. He helped our whole world. Right. So why shouldn't we all enjoy that? And I admit, I get that perspective. Right. You know, it's a. I mean, you see this in the news. Name changes are like the most interesting thing because there are these stories that, although not the most important, not more important than homicides or education, mm. everybody has a take, right? And everybody understands the story. It's pretty clear. And, and I just hope as we go to that election in November, you know, my dream world is that we come to some level of compromise before then. And, you know, if I'm lucky enough to get elected, mm. I would like to bring the most strident you know, minister and some of the most strident folks that are, for, are preserving the Paseo mm-hmm. name and saying, all right, what can we do? Or do we have a recommendation out of that? I got to ask you, I wouldn't be a good journalist if I didn't. This whole thing that happened to you yeah. and Lawrence yeah. and your arrest and yeah. all. 
Walk, walk me through that, because you and I have never really talked about right. that. It's just like what I've heard in the press. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. What you, happened that night? You know, it was interesting. I mean, I think it, it's a sign of anything is, uh, you know, completely overworking yourself. Um, that was a city council meeting date. I was Thursday uh, night. Thursday. Yeah, it was a Thursday. And so I woke up at 4 a.m. because I thought some issue was the world's most important and was trying to write all these ordinances. Then you go through a whole day, debated city council, had meetings in Kansas City that afternoon, and then had agreed for, against my better judgment. A what? To, I had agreed to oh, uh, you had be agreed part of a, uh, a charity trivia night over there, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and then, you know, you end up, I end up there, had a few drinks, and then I was, you know, the thought that, yeah, I can't really make it. And so, you know, you sit there, you fall asleep, and then you run into this very interesting kind of situation out of it. Um, you know, almost from the moment I interact with the officer, I was kind of of the thought that, you know, we'll have to resolve this later. Um, Did you have your keys in the ignition? You know, it's a, a non-ignition, it's a keyless. It didn't matter? Right, Okay, right, so it's matter. a fob. Right, right. And so that, that started us down the, the long legal trail. You know, the thing that, a few things I remember from that night that were incredibly intriguing and, and eye-opening. Uh, one... The officer was a complete gentleman. Uh, we actually ended up, by the end of the night, <laughs> we, we were talking about gangs in Kansas City and Topeka. Did he know who you were when he, did he not. arrested you? He did not. I mean, he... And you didn't say, I'm Quentin Lucas. No, no. I mean, he, in our interaction, he's like, what are you doing in Lawrence, Kansas? And I was like, I work at KU. Mm-hmm. So if anything, he thought I worked there, and that was my the biggest deal you I teach, had. You teach, teach law at yeah. KU in yeah. case people don't know. Exactly. And okay. so, you know, so we, but we ended up having a great chat. I remember, uh, you know, we were just driving around, kind of talking about all that sort of stuff, shake hands at the end. Uh, But then, of course, yeah, there's the whole process after that. And I just remember how how much more empowered I am than a lot of other people. What do you mean? By that I mean I walked out thinking, all right, well, I see this getting dismissed. I'll call a lawyer. I I knew one. Right. right. And uh, you never represent yourself. I never, never represent yourself. You, <laughs> no, <laughs> you never do. What's the saying? A fool. Yeah. There's, a fool for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No bigger fool than the guy who yeah, represents rep- himself. Exactly. Anyway. Um, but then, you know, the interesting thing was precisely because it's a smaller community. I always thought it was a slightly bigger place, but it turns out Lawrence is just a small town. Uh, you know, I ended up seeing the system and the way it works. And I saw that because I had a lawyer, right, we're able to file these motions to dismiss. Mm. We're able to actually go through a process that gets everything cleared. Um, you know, administrative charges dismissed, everything else. I realized how much the normal person might have just said if they didn't have a few thousand dollars. You know, all right, I'll, I'll take whatever diversion you have, whatever else, and just walk this But you behind. didn't work the system to get off something you were actually God guilty no. of. God, no. I mean, if I'd, if I'd been able to do that, then it would have been a two-week yeah. thing. No, it stuck around for six months. It stuck around through the primary election. Did you think, uh, hey, i got to drop out. This is too big of a, uh, a mark on my... You know, I, I remember the morning after, you know, being like, well, this is a, you know, a big pain. But I'll tell you one of the, and I don't know if he wants me sharing it, but whatever. One of the best calls I got, and a few people reached out to me. Uh, Dayton Moore of the Kansas City Royals, who I built up a relationship with. Uh, Who's an excellent great man. Christian yeah, man. Good yeah. man. Just a really good man. And then uh, the president of the uh, uh, Fraternal Order of Police, Brad Lemon. 
And I, you know, and at that point I was getting a bunch of calls and I ignored a lot of them. Uh, you know, some reporters said, hey, sorry about that. Can you go on camera right now? You know, I think I did that, didn't I? <laughs> you did, you did, you're not oh, one of them. Okay. It, was, it was some other channels, um, you know, all, all the odd number channels. Yes. But, um, but uh, Brad Lemon of the Fraternal Order of Police mm-hmm. called me and he said, and I said, hey, I'm sorry about this. I know you guys have been big supporters. Well, I said, you got nothing to apologize for. That's not a ticket we write. I don't think you actually committed an offense and uh, you know, we hope it all shakes out all right for you. And so that kind of mm. gave me some. And so where does it stand now? Dismissed. I mean, it's totally it's gone. Totally gone. You got the mug shot out there. <laughs> right. I've got a mug shot out there. Do you know? really? Yeah. <laughs> I spent the night in LaGrange jail. You ever seen the best little whorehouse in Texas? Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to tell you the story on the air, but <laughs> <laughs> it was in college. Yeah. And I spent the night next to a murderer, a guy who had murdered his family and put him in a trunk. But anyway, Jesus. that's a long story. <laughs> if I ever run for office, I'll fess up on that. Well, you know, the funny thing, one thing what? I learned about Kansas law, which is very interesting, uh, because it was dismissed and all of that, the whole record gets expunged. And they also do this benefit for you. They're like, ah, yes. And then the mugshot is sealed after that point. Well, it's already like, out it there. does you a hell of a lot of good after the fact. But they're like, well, we've now mm. closed that record. So, you know, what you going to do? Got a couple of questions from Facebook. Yeah. And uh, I need to look these up. But one person. And you know that Northland always feels like they yeah. get left out. Yeah. And uh, when I talk to people, they go, "Well, why are we paying all these taxes in Northland, and it's to subsidize the urban core mm-hmm. or south of the river? What What do you want to do for the Northland?" A lot of things. I mean, one, I think Northlanders want the same things that everybody else does. One, uh, they want to be safe. Mm-hmm. Right? They want more than two officers driving around on a given night in Shoal, Shoal Creek Patrol Division or the North Patrol. They also, uh, I think, want the basics, good roads, the city supporting the schools to the extent we can in terms of making sure kids have activities, parks, etc. And so what I would say to somebody in the Northland who says, we feel so left out, uh, there is more we can do. There's more we can do about making sure we're addressing the, the core basics. I mean, the reason the Northland feels left out is because whenever the city goes in this, let's just build a bunch of stuff mode, usually it's a downtown conversation. And I think if you, like me, or a guy who says we need to take care of basic services, then uh, that means that you're actually doing it everywhere. And that's what I would say to him. Well, let's take care of the basics. Mm. I'll also note that we're looking to invest a lot in more recreational activities up north more parks and boulevards up north so it can be just like the south side of the city and that's something ongoing and that's something we're committed to but i'll tell you the most interesting thing i ever did was uh as housing committee chair i visited with the superintendents of every public school district in kansas city missouri and what was interesting to me was park hill which i thought was pretty pretty solid district you know good housing stock Mm -hmm. probably i'd still say probably our wealthiest in kansas city missouri um and they were talking about the number of students who were homeless who were moving around a lot, hmm. you know, and all of that. Not as big, surfing. Right. And not as big as KCPS or Center or anything like that or North Kansas City. But I was like, wow, it's everywhere. Hmm. So that showed me that, you know, the roads aren't paved with gold up north. And we need to make sure we're taking care of all the basics for them, too. How are you going to get out and do that? Yeah. Are you going to... Uh, um I know Jolie's talking about in her campaign, and I'm, I'm, she's coming on the porch here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, about trying to meet people and get uh, divest City Hall out of 12th and Oak where you're actually out in the community. Yeah. I think uh, it's got to be more than that. 
because I'm, I'm, we do, we actually do meetings in the community. Right. Every month, Jermaine Reed and I have a third district community meeting on a, on a Monday night at a community center. We have budget meetings in all types of places, and still not a lot of people show up. So what this means to me, thank you, is that we have to, I'll take it off camera, mm -hmm. um, that we have to make sure we're, reach, we're meeting people where they are. If we know that there are a lot of people that are engaging with, let's say, Casey Mo on Facebook, right. we got to engage with them there. If people want to find us through, you know, actually going to an event, being at festivals over the weekend, we need to do more of that. So I don't think it is actually a, hey, let's have a big community meeting because everybody's going to say, I got kids, I got things to do, right. I got work in the morning. But if we instead say, hey, and it's why I've tried to be so active on the different social media, I've joined Facebook pages, for example, one where everybody hates me, the Save the Paseo Facebook page. Hold on, let me look that they, up. I've been on that one. They're like, Quint yes. Lucas is the worst. But at the same time, that's what I think a talented elected official is doing nowadays. Do you have, is it tough to take criticism? Hmm. I mean, especially when people hate your guts. Yeah. They think you're the worst thing on earth. You know, it, uh, it, it used to be. This mayor's race actually made it better. I mean, how so? We, <laughs> because you get so much, you know. So you were, we, we were talking about tough moments, you know. In the fall, that was the Lawrence incident. About two weeks later, to kind of double down on people hating me, I tweeted about the Chiefs playing a game in uh, St. Louis, mm -hmm. which was a highly unpopular tweet. And it was more relating to I don't like them playing a game in Mexico City. Why don't we stay in America? Do one over there. Team ticked off everybody. Ended up getting picked up by Bob Fesco, was talked about all day. I was getting these calls and you know, they were saying, you know, bro, you take my team, I take your life. You know, that sort of thing. My poor secretary wow. at City Hall was getting stuff. That's and scary. everybody was like, Quinn Lucas is a total idiot. Uh, and then they would kind of, you might see this sometimes too. It's like they'll Google about you and do some research oh, yeah. on you too, just to be like. I call oh. them ankle biters. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he's been an idiot since 1995. Like, way to find an ugly picture from back then, of which there are many. Um, <laughs> but it just got me to kind of say, all right, I can tune them out because you really can't, and you hear this all the time, you can't give those people, you know, free rent in your head, mm. right? And I was like, all right, why am I doing what I'm doing? And then I was like, I'm, I'm here to try to make my community better and stronger. And I'm proud of it. And that's, you know. What does success look for you like for you? in the next couple of years, should you win the mayor's job? Um, safer, a safer city. I think it's unconscionable that, um, I've been watching on the news. But people have been saying that for Yeah, I know. I mean, I how know. many vigils have we had here in town? I think that's the truth. I try not to, I mean, uh, and not respectfully, to, I try not to go to them, but yeah. Not to say that it's not, I think it's cathartic for people, Yeah. but nothing ever changes. Right. We've had, what, almost 60 murders we have. this year. Right. That's crazy. And the thing that has to happen, though, is we have to see each one as a separate tragedy. I think after a while, and you have to read these every morning, I think we get used to it. I think there's too much of the community that's able to say every day. And I mean, even people who live close to violence. There's a guy who was murdered like 30 feet from my front door. And you get too used to it. And what we need from leadership is to say, no, 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 this is the biggest tragedy possible. And the reason I say that is for all those economic development boosters and the guys at the chamber right now, look at Baltimore, look at St. Louis. 
If you don't get your hands around your violent crime issue, you can have cool stadiums downtown, mm -hmm. you can have a much better airport, and no matter what happens, it won't actually solve your core problem. So what I want to say, and I, made, I was talking to some Methodist ministers yesterday, I want to say that within two years, right, we get our number of, of violent crimes, particularly shootings, down, and we get our homicide number. I'd like to, by the end of my term, it needs to be below But 100. how do you do that if people aren't telling what they know? I talked to Ricky, the yeah. chief, and he yeah. says, and Daryl told me the same thing when he was chief. People aren't talking. I don't know if they're scared or there's fear of retribution or there's this code. Yeah. It, part of it's the trust with the police, yeah, which right. has gotten better, I think, yeah, since has. I've been here. They are scared. I mean, they are scared. We need to invest in, in two, actually three key things in connection with that. One, uh, you need to hide. You need to make sure you have enough detectives. I know that, that sounds crazy and real basic and all that sort of stuff. But if people can shoot and shoot at crowds or anything without fear of any type of responsibility for it, then they're going to keep doing so. And importantly, then if your buddy is the one who got killed, then you'll say, this is the only way I get my revenge. This is the only way I get back. So one is that. Another is going to be, uh, I think, real trauma treatment. Right? So uh, we're down the street from Paseo High School. I went to a funeral uh, for a kid who had dropped out, but it was an 18-year-old who had gone to Paseo, and all of his friends were there. And they were saying, man, this is sad. This is like our second murder-related funeral we've been to this year. You need to talk to those kids before they grow up mm -hmm. as people that are angry, before they grow up as people who think that everything you and I and everybody else is saying is just total BS. We need to say, hey, right, before you get angry, before you pick up a gun and fire back, Let's talk to you, man. There's a different way to do it. There's a way that gives you a different type of life. Uh, and I think, you know, we need a mayor who cares about that. The last, not, and, and by the way, I don't mean to cast aspersions. Every mayor has cared about right. it. But in terms of what the mayor is doing to avoid it, I think is key. And, and one of those is gonna be, you know, Manuel Cleaver was real, I think, good at feeling that connection. Right. His time was a dangerous one, but that was largely because of gang violence and a bunch mm. of other stuff. All right, a couple of quick questions. Where's my son? Uh, you yeah, met you him before. Read the questions. Uh, yeah, read a couple of questions. All right, so the first question we have comes from Lynn Talbot. Well, and this one was, what's his plan to reduce all the killings? And all right, we got that. that. Yep. Next question from Kira Korolowski. Are you aware that there is a major problem with animal control in KCMO mm. and what you do to plan to fix it? I'm talking about <laughs> poor decision making, leaving dogs that are in inhumane conditions, returning uh. confiscated animals to bad owners. So the question was, uh, how do you improve animal control? Our dogs got out yesterday, ended up over at MLK Park. It was a disaster. We got them because we had the tags on them. I'm sorry it happened. <laughs> but anyway, that happens. But yeah. I think they're talking about irresponsible pet owners right. too. Something we keep dealing with, you know. Um, let me think about it this way. One of the hardest things in life is getting people to change how they how they treat their pets. Mm -hmm. uh, frankly, also parents of, of children sometimes too. You, you have big rights in connection with how you do things. I think the biggest thing we can try to do is actually more training for people, more opportunities for people. Telling people, you know, if your dogs are in a chain, right? Hey, maybe if we can help them actually find funding for that fence. I don't think they walk the dog, you know, on the right. chain all day. Um, but a lot of times they're used for a different purpose than what you and I were had a no, dog for. No, that's, that's kind of a thing where I think a learned behavior where the dogs are used as protection rather yes. than a pet. Yes. 
And you know that. Not treated as a pet, but rather a. And this is where I'll be honest with you. This is where sometimes, yeah, you have cultural differences in connection with that. Uh, I think what we as a city need to do is continue to try to enhance our own animal control, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to change human beings, but what we can immediately change is how are we treating animals, making sure it's being done humanely. We have a no-kill shelter now. That's a positive step. But I think another thing that we need to talk about is perhaps even requiring pet owners um, to, if not go through some training if they've had a certain number of offenses, to at least require them to maybe come down to the shelter, actually talk to people about, hmm. hey, this is what you need to do, but making sure we're having that educational step of things so we're not gotcha. perpetuating those problems. You had a personal question, Mark. We're yes. running out of time. Why don't you shoot that at him because Quentin so, loves your question. I'm an artist in the Crossroads Art yeah. District. Um, First Fridays has always been a major part of that and was really built by artists. The Crossroads District was built by artists. Um, last First Friday, I had some friends who are doing their fair, selling the stuff that they make. And recently, the CCA has come around and with the police officer requesting a $25 fee now for everyone who is um, at that fair. And I know for my young, poor artist friends who were planning on selling their stuff, that was a big hit for them. Um, how are we going to keep the crossroads arts-driven? There's a lot of artists who are being pushed out of the crossroads. Yeah. How are we going to keep it... You know, this is the safe haven for artists. All right. You know, first things first, I, I don't think the action of pushing your friends out was even legal, right? I mean, there are public spaces and public right-of-ways, and so, you know, I, the last I checked, we haven't deeded over the entire Crossroads to the Crossroads Community Association. So just bring your friendly lawyer with you next time. I'll volunteer, <laughs> all right? Um, I think step two to really the core question um, Here's where incentives come in and tax abatements. Once we start thinking the world of tax abatements and incentives is only for luxury hotels and luxury apartments and luxury office spaces, then we've lost our way. Right? The Crossroads Arts District is called the Crossroads Arts District because of artists. And we need to make sure is when we talk about incentives, when we're doing the, the work of incentives, that we actually are making sure that we continue to find and prioritize both space for artists but housing for artists as well. We need to make sure we're not giving away the farm on incentives for luxury development so that we're actually retaining tools that will help out artists, will help out creative folks that are trying to live there, that are trying to stay there. That's why one of the ordinances I passed was one that frankly said, you can't get incentives in the crossroads or downtown unless you actually have some broader, significant mm. public purpose. Otherwise, right, you need to find somewhere else and have the, or have the private market work for you. But my view is that Yeah, it needs to be about those that are at or below, right, a certain kind of income threshold who have the opportunity to stay. And if you want to just have a luxury tower, then build it yourself without Kansas City, Missouri investing in it. Uh, Can I go ahead? Mm -hmm. So there has been a lot of economic development um, abatements downtown that has really pushed development, which is great. Yeah. Um, However, now it's I have a lot of friends who are it's very hard to find affordable housing near the city. How, Another big how are issue. No, affordable housing for the young people. Huge issue. One is I like being in the neighborhood I'm in right now. You provide more funding for rehab of homes in the core of the city. I think one of the problems with Kansas City's approach to affordable housing is that we see it all as a as a kind of percentage of a one-light or a two-light or a three-light project. You can't incentivize your way into enough affordable housing stock for a whole community. What you can do is preserve our community. We can stabilize housing. 
you know, the work that you're doing, Mark, right here, means that the next person who buys this house could be somebody who has a big family, all that sort of stuff, but has the opportunity to actually stay in the core of the city, be close and accessible to things, but then also, right, get something affordable. I mean, I want us to do more on the preservation side. I want us to stop demolishing lots of housing stock, particularly in the east side of Kansas City. Some has to go, but nevertheless, I want to preserve more. And I think in neighborhoods uh, where there are issues with lending institutions, not often uh, lending in them, we need to make sure that we're providing a gap filler in some situations for both the artist, for the single mom, for anybody who's saying, I want to stay in Kansas City. I like the accessible transit. I like the culture, right? The way we support affordable housing with that is to actually say, how can we create opportunities for people often who are paying, let's say in rent, $850 a month when they can get a mortgage at 600 or 550 and actually own a house and actually stabilize a neighborhood. That's the work I'm talking about. All right, last question. Uh, Leslie, she just got a job with the Parks Department. And so her question is, uh, <laughs> what is your favorite park and why? Man, yeah, I got I have some favorites, too. I mean, everybody knows Loose. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knows uh, Swope, which is a great park. Um, You're thinking, aren't you? No, no, no. I'm not. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just equivocating. No, no, no. no. I'm. I'm trying to think of a legit reason why I'm. I'm going to say this, although I just love it. All right, we'll just say what you. So Migliazzo Park Where's is that? a park in South Kansas City off of Minor Drive. So, and for those who don't know Minor Drive, 119th and State Line, yeah. right? It's this little park. It's got a pond and all of that. So I never. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. I never went uh, fishing growing it's near, up. It's uh, near, not Woodbridge, what's the name, Timber Trail? Uh, yeah, anyway. yeah, it's down that, yeah. down that way. Glen Arbor area. Uh-huh, exactly. And so the reason I like that park is we were such idiots. A buddy of mine is a cop's son, lived down in South Kansas City, and we would always go fishing in Migliazzo Park. And I, and I don't know if, there, if it was stocked or anything. Over a course of like two years, we never caught a single fish. And I think like the mom and dad knew that we weren't going to, but they just loved us being occupied. And we would come back with whatever soda cans or <laughs> like algae and whatever else we could find. So I've got great memories hmm. of Migliazzo in South Kansas City. That is not like a politician being like, I love Iowa, right? But um, no, that's a good one. I, I'm not just saying this because Leslie works for the Parks Department now and she's watching. Uh, mm-hmm. I've said before this a long time, and I'm a native Texan. I've been to a lot of parks. I think the park system here is we the, do a great job. the shining jewel of Kansas City. Right. And when you consider the parks and the parkways and the boulevards that we have, it's something that is worth shouting about it to is. the world. It really is. I mean, it's, I always say, and I know a lot of people, particularly the Fox 4 followers, there are a lot of different cities that you can live in in this region. I think what makes Kansas City unique is, is, is really things like our parks and boulevard system and the culture you can find in the city. And uh, we need to try our darndest to make sure we're retaining that. Mm. You know, sometimes lost in the Paseo conversation is the fact that so many people care on both sides of that issue because it's a great boulevard. Mm-hmm. And so many people care about our parks because they are outstanding. And that's something I want to make sure we keep. Hey, good luck Tuesday. Hey, I what appreciate it. What are you gonna it. do if you lose? Man, I'm gonna keep teaching. Yeah. I'll be involved. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll be watching the morning news every day and sending you nasty emails. Well, tell your mom hi. I will. Bring her down to the studio. I will. Thank you. 
Uh, thank you for getting comfortable with Mark Offord here on the front porch. <laughs> you like my porch? I love, man, this is a great porch. This is why we got this house. I can sit out here with my bourbon and cigar and watch <laughs> the world go by. That's fantastic. All right. Thanks, Quentin. We'll see y'all. Thank you, folks. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.